Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question, if you listen to that intro real carefully, would you say that you probably had a better weekend than I did? Much better. Much, much <laughs> better. Uh, really good to be me. Not good to be you. But I'll allow it. Good news is, yeah, okay, fair enough. That was a little harsh, but... Good news is it's only week one, so you got multiple weeks now ahead. We got three months of college football at least, plus we got bowl season. It'll be all right, Joey. A couple tough games there. At least Louisville won, right? Did they? I mean, the scoreboard says they did. Yeah. They don't uh, – you, you know, I play a lot of golf. They say they don't draw pictures on the scorecard. Um, <laughs> they don't draw pictures on the, on the box score either. Fair. Unless you're – you know, down to the end of the year, and it's all subjectivity in the college football playoff mix. But, you know, hey. Mike, I'm not going to lie. Ending last season how we did with the Super Bowl and then starting this football season with Louisville and how Georgia Tech's games went is just like a giant kick in the nuts. So, I, you know, we'll, we'll get into these games here in a minute. But, yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, a rough weekend for me. And I, I, I think just from a high level, it was a bit of a rough weekend for the ACC as well. Uh, yeah, it was. At one point I saw you tweet, yeah, I'm not even sure I like football anymore, which (laughs) is what, that's about the time I knew that you were done with week one and ready to move on to week two. But yeah, really tough weekend, I'd say, for the ACC, especially when all the coaches went out on a limb at the ACC kickoff, talking about how great the conference was, and then it was a pretty ugly showing, for the most part, in out-of-conference games. Yeah, uh, it, it was not a great start for the ACC. Um, we're we're going to get into some of these games. Let's start out, Mike, real quick, just run through the, the real easy ones to talk about. There were four games that stick out as, like, there's not even anything really worth mentioning a whole lot in here. Uh, Clemson 56, Kent State 3. Kelly Bryant had a fairly good day in his first start. Uh, Miami 41, Bethune-Cookman 13. Malik Rozier taking over for the Canes, and they, they kind of sleptwalked through that one for a little while, but eventually uh, were able to make the make the thing go away. Uh, Wake Forest 51, Presbyterian 7. John Walford was there and played and might be a little bit in progress of losing his job to Kendall Hinton, but we'll find out. Uh, Duke 60, NC Central 7. Daniel Jones was real good, as we might expect from him. Mike, does anything stick, stick out to you about these games other than those four, the quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, the quarterbacks all played well. I I think the one everybody was paying most attention to was Clemson because you're replacing Deshaun Watson there with Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant, you know, looked really, really good, but take it with a grain of salt. It is Kent State, but he was 16-22 and for 236 and a touchdown. He looked really good. Um, Miami game, yeah, they sleptwalked through like a quarter and a half, and then they scored three touchdowns in like seven minutes or something like that. It was 
a scoring flurry there uh, in the middle of the second quarter. Rozier looked really good, 217, three touchdowns. Uh, Mark Walton, really strong game there, too, on the ground. So Miami did what they were supposed to do. And, yeah, Daniel Jones looked good for Duke. John Walford and Kendall Hinton both looked pretty good for Wake Forest. So Wake Forest has a nice little quarterback situation there as they've had for each of the last three seasons. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where they go from there, specifically at the quarterback position. Uh, Hinton came in. He was 7 of 8 passing and had three touchdowns, I believe. So, I, you know, Wake's going to be okay at quarterback, I guess. That's That's my takeaway. Quarterbacks look good. Yeah, those are the four games that teams really just took care of business. There wasn't really anything uh, noteworthy about the performances or the games. You know, they just they were what they were, and, and they took care of business. And let's just go ahead and move on, if you're good with that, Mike. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, because we got a lot of other games to talk about. And really, in a lot of cases, this was not a very impressive weekend for the ACC. And we'll start out with the very the biggest one, the biggest game of the weekend, really. Uh, on Saturday night, n- number one, Alabama, 24, number three, Florida State, seven. Uh, the Seminoles held up fairly well in this game on defense. They were really done in by some special teams errors, but probably the biggest story coming out of this game, Mike, DeAndre Francois lost for the season now for the Seminoles, and that is, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it is a big deal, and they're going to have James Blackman, the true freshman, it looks like anyway, step in in relief and take his place. He, you know, received some snaps there in garbage time once Francois went out. Um, look, I mean, the story of this game was the special teams that you alluded to. Florida State had a really bad special teams turnover, led to easy points for Alabama. Um, but look, Alabama had a lot of trouble scoring on this Florida State defense. Um, and that's my one big takeaway from this. And, you know, a lot of people are out there talking about, you know, the ACC now being wide open since DeAndre Francois is out. You know, I disagree with that. I think this is very similar to what they kind of had last year. And that was a down year for Florida State. But you'll remember that the defense was trying to find their footing. And I think the difference between last year and this year, at least through one game, is that the defense for Florida State is going to be really, really good, like elite-level good, maybe the best or one of the two or three best defenses in all of college football. And that matters when you have a young quarterback. Um, You're going to have Blackman come in if he manages the game and takes care of the football, and Florida State's able to establish something on the ground. Um, You know, I think the Seminoles will be in good shape moving forward. Cam Akers, 10 carries for 30 yards. Patrick, 6 carries for 17 yards. Not the greatest showing in the world, but there were some flashes there where they were making some plays there um, in the running game, and they shook loose a couple times for some moderate gains, and and you could see the talent there out of both of those running backs, which we knew out of Patrick and Akers, obviously, being the running back that he was coming out of college or coming out of high school last year. Um, Really interesting stats coming out of this game. This is from our buddy Jeff Greenberg. Uh, first time since 2008 that Alabama was held to less than 100 yards passing and less than 200 yards rushing in a game. In addition, Florida State held Alabama to 3 of 16 on third down attempts, and Alabama only scored 13 points on five drives that started in Florida State territory. So backs against the wall for the Florida State defense, and they stood up to the task. So it really came down to those mistakes that Francois made in the passing game, uh, of course, there was a one-blown coverage there uh, that Calvin Ridley got loose on. He caught that 53-yard touchdown pass. So that was the one mistake uh, that Florida State made in addition to the special teams fumble, which really flipped the field. But Florida State's defense was put in a lot of tough spots in this game. I thought they held up pretty well. If the offense takes some steps forward here without Francois, I think the Seminoles are in great position to 
move move past this Alabama loss and have a really successful season. And I'm not counting them out of winning the ACC Atlantic. Um, I, I mean, if anything, you know, the Clemson game probably gets a little bit closer. Uh, but there are not a lot of teams in the ACC, in my opinion, they're going to be able to score on Florida State. At least that was my takeaway after watching how they performed against an Alabama offense that is going to be really good in the SEC this year. I was really impressed, Mike, with the Florida State defense as well. Um, I thought that this is the second straight game in which an ACC team has shown you a blueprint for how you could beat Alabama in theory. Uh, stop the run and just dare Jalen Hurts to beat you over the top. And, and a lot of times he can't do that. Uh, he is not good throwing the ball down the field. Florida State, yeah, they, they hung in there, held Alabama to under 200 yards rushing, which holding anybody to 200 yards rushing doesn't sound like a huge accomplishment but when it's Alabama with their stable of running backs and their offensive line. I mean, that is, that is quite the accomplishment. Um, they did a great job. Uh, Jalen Hurts held under 100 yards, like you said, 10 of 18 passing, and that was it. He only he completed all of his passes to Calvin Ridley for the most part. That was the only wide receiver that he completed anything to. Uh, and, and other than that, Florida State had the whole thing locked down. I was impressed with guys like Josh Sweat, Derwin James. They were out phys- They were more physical than Alabama was at the point of attack for a lot of the game, and so. That was really what did it for Florida State. But meanwhile, it, it was mistakes. It was a couple of turnovers from DeAndre Francois. It was, uh, it was a couple of special teams gaffes that really did the team in here. This was a much closer game than I think the final score would indicate. A 17-point loss, you know, a three-score game, it was a lot closer than that, realistically. Um, th- this was a, a very close, very competitive football game. I, I'm not... I'm not a fan right now of my, uh, my buddies that I play softball with who went to Alabama and were just you know, he hawing at how bad the ACC was and how bad Alabama beat Florida State. It's like, no, 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 no. Florida State made a couple of mistakes and Alabama capitalized, and that's about it. Um, and, and other than that, this was a very even game where you could even say that Florida State on about 85% of plays was as good or better. So I defensively, Florida State was just as impressive as they could be, and I think they're going to carry this team this year, especially now that you've got DeAndre Francois injured. Um, he, he's lost for the season with, I think it was like a patella injury or something. Um, torn patellar tendon. Okay. Yeah. That's, and that's a painful one. That's not a, not an easy recovery by any means. So it is now the James Blackman show in Tallahassee. But the good news is I don't know that you really need a whole lot of the, out of the quarterback in this offense to move the ball. Mike, you got the, the weapons on the side, uh, weapon on the outside in the receiver position, as well as the backfield of Cam Akers and Jacquez Patrick that, I think they're going to be just fine offensively, and I don't know that this really impacts their standing in the Atlantic, Mike. It doesn't, and a lot of people want to make out DeAndre Francois to be this fantastic quarterback, and I, for one, think, you know, I was one of the people out there who said, yes, he's going to win ACC Player of the Year. I think Francois has all the potential to be a fantastic player, but you have to remember that he only completed 58% of his passes last year as a freshman. Um, He didn't turn the football over. He made all the right throws. The potential was there. He's obviously extremely talented, um, best quarterback on the roster by far. So I don't want to, I don't want to say that this isn't a loss at all. But if you don't think that a kid as talented as James Blackman can come in and replicate what DeAndre Francois did last year, I think you're crazy. Um, I think he can absolutely do that. And I, I think the best thing for a young quarterback is an outstanding defense, and Florida State certainly has that. So. I think that while Francois is a big loss, there's no doubt about that, I'm, I'm very much against the notion that this is a wide-open ACC now that Francois is hurt. 
um, because I'm not sure there are many teams that are going to be able to move the ball against Florida State. And I think Florida State's going to be a really good running team this year. And I think if you have a good run game and a strong defense, you're going to be in every single game you play. And Blackman's going to be asked to make some plays in the passing game. He is. I mean, they're going to face some teams like Clemson who might be able to stop the run. And maybe that's a game you lose if you're Florida State, right? But I think that at the very least, you're going to be in position to win these games. I, I'm very much against the notion that this is now a wide-open conference that, now that Francois got hurt. Francois had a lot of talent. Um, he had a ton of potential, which is why I picked him to win player of the year. And I, and I thought this was the year that, you know, his second year at the helm where, you know, he makes the step forward and, and becomes that elite-type quarterback in the ACC. And now we're going to have to wait another year to see that happen, and we'll see how he recovers from that knee injury. But, you know, Francois is extremely talented, but... I think that they have something there in Blackman, a good young player who, look, if you're going to have an injury to the quarterback position, this is a good time to have it. You don't want to have it in late November when you're out there trying to compete and get yourself in position for a college football playoff. You now have the whole season ahead of you to break Blackman in. Hopefully he he plays well moving forward and puts Florida State in a position where they can still win the ACC and, and still contend for a college football playoff spot. Alabama 24, Florida State 7. Let's move on, Mike, to probably the the highlight of the weekend for the ACC. Your number 21, Virginia Tech Hokies, 31. The twenty number 22, West Virginia Mountaineers, 24. Uh, the Hokies come away w- winners in a remarkably fun game that was really uh, – it, it was a, a strong performance for Justin Fuentes. Hokies, uh, Josh Jackson gets his first start as, as at the starting quarterback position and performed very much uh, admirably in this spot. Uh, Mike, you were there. It looked like it was a remarkable atmosphere there at the less-than-remarkable FedEx field. What, what was your experience with this game? Yeah, so – you know, it FedEx Field, not the greatest atmosphere for football games in general, but you go there for this game. There were so many Virginia Tech fans, so many West Virginia fans. It was a sold-out crowd. The fans were unbelievable. Um, momentum swings, I think, is my big takeaway from the game. Um, you know, you're Virginia Tech, and you never trailed in this game. Uh, you know, I, I can sit, you know, consider yourself lucky. I mean, you were in a spot here against Will Greer. Will Greer was fantastic in this football game, slinging the ball all over the field, 371 yards passing, three touchdowns, had a one one pick where he made a dumb throw across his body on a fourth down play trying to make something happen. Um, but, you know, Virginia Tech, I, I was impressed by their resiliency, obviously impressed with Josh Jackson and what he did as a redshirt freshman making his first start in – one of the biggest games of the season for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, West Virginia and Clemson are the two biggest games, and then you got to go on the road later in the year. But this is a big one to start out with, and it was a pretty good atmosphere for Jackson to get his feet wet in because it was so raucous and there were so many West Virginia fans there that it still got loud when Virginia Tech was on offense. But Jackson throws for 235 yards and a touchdown, 101 yards rushing and a touchdown, and actually broke the 100-yard rushing mark as a quarterback, which wasn't done at all last year with Gerard Evans, which is pretty remarkable considering how many times he ran the football. But, yeah, a a game of momentum swings. Obviously, Virginia Tech had their struggles on special teams with the missed field goals by Joey Sly. He's an all-ACC kicker that had an off night. The one positive to take away from Sly's performance is that West Virginia didn't return a single kickoff, which if, you know, you've seen West Virginia play, they have playmakers all over the field and in the return game, so... I thought that was the one big positive out of the special teams for the Hokies. Um, defensively, 
Obviously, you know, West Virginia had 592 total yards, but when looking at the Hokies, they're playing man-to-man defense across the board. It's one of those situations when you're facing an up-tempo offense that West Virginia has, it's hard to go after the quarterback every single time because if you don't get home, your defense is going to be exhausted. So I thought it was an extremely bold game plan by Bud Foster to go man-to-man about 85 to 90% of the game and hope that your pass rush got home. That's the that's the game they employed there on the defensive side of the football, and it worked for the most part, even though Greer had a really strong game. But, you know, I thought the turning point in this game for me uh, – was when David Sills caught a touchdown pass from Will Greer. It was late third quarter, maybe about two, two and a half minutes to go. And Virginia Tech is coming back out. They have a kick return here. West Virginia fans are going nuts. Ensuing kickoff, James Clark, graduate transfer from Ohio State, takes it up the sideline, gets knocked out of bounds. But when he was hit out of bounds, it was a 15-yard penalty. Set up the Hokies about 35 yards from the end zone. Very next play, Cam Phillips shook loose and Josh Jackson hit him on the money for a touchdown. So two plays later, the Hokies responded and scored. I thought that was huge because while West Virginia, you know, tied the game later on, I thought the resiliency by Virginia Tech when their backs were against the wall in this game was a difference and why they ultimately won the game, especially with a defensive stand at the end. West Virginia makes a couple big plays there on the final drive to get themselves in position to tie the game, but the Hokies made enough stops when they had to as time expired. Incredible atmosphere. Virginia Tech's offense was the takeaway for me and how well Josh Jackson performed. And I thought despite how many yards the Hokies gave up on the defensive side of the football, I thought there were a lot of positives to take away from the performance there as well. So plenty of things to clean up as a Hokies fan watching this game. But there are a lot of things to be excited about too, especially when considering how well Josh Jackson played in his first start against a West Virginia defense that, you know, I don't know how much this is saying, but, you know, they will be one of the better defensive units in the Big 12 this year. West Virginia goes for almost 600 yards in this game, coming away at 592 combined through the air and on the ground. Uh, One of the big issues I think that a lot of Mountaineers fans had was new offensive coordinator Jake Spavadol coming in and uh, getting very, very pass-happy with new quarterback uh, Will Greer when rushing the ball. The Mountaineers had a lot of success. So really there there were uh, opportunities, I think, that Bud Foster's defense could have been taken advantage of a little more than it was. so something just to monitor moving forward with Virginia Tech. But ultimately, I mean, the, the game was played out how it was, and the Hokies come out victorious. Um, they they did a, a pretty good job. I mean, they limited the Mountaineers to only seven points in the first half. I thought that was pretty strong. Um, and, and ultimately were able to close the game out at the very end uh, when, when West Virginia was threatening to score at the very end that might tie the game and send it to overtime. And Mike, on that note, that's more than I can say about my Georgia Tech team, if you're good to move on. I am, because I want to get into this game with you. I don't know if... You, I'll, let, I'll let you start. I don't want to talk about it. Whatever. You, you, you start. All right. So let's take away some positives from this Georgia Tech performance. Positives. By the way, to, by the way Tennessee 42, Georgia Tech 41 in double overtime. Positives. Uh, Paul Johnson appears to have made the correct decision at quarterback, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I figured. So, Taquan Marshall for Georgia Tech, the quarterback, by the way, 44 carries, 249 yards, five touchdowns in his first start at quarterback. I think you'll take that every day of the week and twice on Mondays, because that's when this game was being played. Um, 
Matthew Jordan, the guy that I expected to be the starter. You'll remember when we did the season preview, and I was surprised to learn that it might not be him, might be Taquan Marshall. I'm glad I was wrong because watching this game, this was, uh, you know, unbelievably exciting as an ACCer uh, watching it from the outside. A very entertaining game. One takeaway for me from this performance out of Georgia Tech, obviously the turnovers. Um, uh, the turnover killed them there at the end, specifically at fumble there in the fourth quarter. Um, I was a huge fan. I'm, I'm jumping all over the place here, but I was a, a huge fan of the call to go for two at the very end. It didn't work out. I was all about it. I mean, you couldn't stop Tennessee all night, especially in the second half. They were going up and down the field, scoring at will. And, and Georgia Tech was as well on Tennessee. It was just back and forth, you know, for what seemed like the entire fourth quarter and, and both overtimes. I was all for going for two and ending it right there. Um, play call, of course, didn't work out the way, you know, it was kind of a slow developing play. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the play call. I was a huge fan of the call to go for it, though. So I think Paul Johnson had it right. Uh, I'm not sure how much he's getting criticized. You'll be able to answer that a bit better than I will. But, you know, the running game, you know, Cravante Benson had a huge game, 124 yards and a touchdown. That's another, another big takeaway for me. Taquan Marshall's receiving all the hype. I think Cravante Benson coming in, doing what he did. Um, you know, no Dietrich Mills, no problem. Um, you do lose this game. You know, but the running game was so strong, and you have to like what you saw there, Joey. So there are a lot of positives to take away. Obviously, letting Marquez Callaway of Tennessee have four catches for 115 and two scores. It seemed like every catch he was making in this football game was a huge play. That's the one negative takeaway. Um, the fact that John Kelly ran for four touchdowns for Tennessee, also not great. And Dormady threw for 221 and two touchdowns. But it was very kind of sporadic there for Tennessee. I thought Georgia Tech's defense held up pretty well for the most part. You give up 42 points to Tennessee, and it doesn't look great, right? But I thought for almost the entire first half, I mean, you know, they held, held Tennessee to seven points in the first half. I thought that was huge. But for the entirety of the first half and then most of the third quarter, I thought Georgia Tech's defense held up pretty well. It just got into a game of, you know, back and forth trading scores. I think the defenses got tired, especially at the end on both sides. But a lot of positives to take away from a really tough loss in double overtime, Joey. But I think this is a good stepping stone here with Taquan Marshall and Cravante Benson and a lot of positives to take away from this performance without Dietrich Mills. Mike, I have a lot of thoughts on this game. So this is probably just going to turn into a little bit of a monologue. Um so, first of all, things that were good. Taquan Marshall, as you mentioned, 5 of 9 passing for 120 yards, 44 carries. That's a school record for a quarterback for 249 yards and five touchdowns. That's an ACC record for a quarterback, I think, on both counts. Uh, he was nothing short of outstanding. Um, he, he showed up very, very well. The offense struggled in the first couple drives that Georgia Tech had. People were like, oh, well, where's Matthew Jordan? You know, this is the wrong pick at quarterback. And then, you know, at old takes exposed, got, you know, got real excited on Twitter as Taquan Marshall starts setting records. Curvante uh, Benson, as you mentioned, 26 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. He was really impressive. He was gashing the Tennessee defense constantly. There was a video that came out late last week of Curvante in the uh, in the weight room squatting something like 500-something pounds. Stupid, stupid weight. Yeah, and that showed as he was able to drive back guys that had, you know, 20 and 30 pounds on him, um, and he was doing it regularly. Uh, he was really good. I thought the offense in general was really good. The, the offensive line was really effective for the most part. It wasn't perfect by any stretch. Um 
I, I thought that the the play call, as you mentioned, in uh, in overtime to go for two, I completely agree that was the right call. I don't think Paul Johnson has really caught any flack whatsoever for deciding to go for it there. I think everybody is in agreement that that was the right call to make at that point in the game. You're about to come back for the third overtime when you got to go for two anyways. You might as well just try to win the game here and now and not deal with trying to slow down a Tennessee offense that scored on like five straight drives or, you know, whatever it was. Um, so that was all good. Hell, even the play call, if you go back and really look at the diagram of the way that play turned out, they should have scored, Mike. They should have scored, and and instead it was just misplayed on a couple of different fronts, and, and it ended up costing them. So this was an incredibly encouraging performance from Georgia Tech's offense. They came away with 655 yards of offense. They held on to the ball for over 41 minutes. They were just slow, plodding drives that usually – go along with a, a dominant Paul Johnson victory. Um, this game reminded me of the 2014 Miami game, where, it was a, again, they had the ball for about 41, 42 minutes. Miami only ran like 45 offensive plays the entire game, and they won 28-17. And that was, that was where I thought this one was going. And then uh, the, the defense couldn't hold up. There were some special teams gaffes all over the place. They had two field goals. I think both got blocked. There was some thought that one of them was just a really bad kick. I think it got blocked too. Uh, there was a sh- really short punt that set up Tennessee with good field position. Uh, there was J.J. Green's fumble towards the end of the game inside the 10-yard line that would have put the game away at the end of like a 35-yard run. Instead, it's Tennessee ball, and seven, seven plays later, I think it was a tie game or, or certainly cut to within a score. Um, Georgia Tech outgained Tennessee by damn near 300 yards, Mike. There was a, it was 655 to 369. Georgia That's Tech tough. had the ball for 41 minutes plus, Tennessee for only 18. 33 first downs to 18, all this stuff. And Georgia Tech manages to lose, and, and that is just... It is just a gut punch, Mike. I, I don't know what to do with that. As you mentioned, Marquez Callaway for Tennessee was him and John Kelly, the freshman running back, were, were the two guys that really carried the load for them and, and made the thing happen. Um, gosh, it is just that is just a heartbreaking loss for the Yellow Jackets in this one. And there's plenty of reason at this point to be very excited for the rest of the season. Um, they... they it's clear that they've shown that they've got the ability to to do some damage against some pretty good defensive units. The question now is, can the defense get it to get their act together, and can they figure out some sort of solution in the kicking game? Because that those are the things that cost Georgia Tech this game, and that is that is just mind boggling that they they lost this one in the way that they did. But ultimately, I mean. The, the people coming out of the woodwork every time Georgia Tech loses saying, oh, Paul Johnson's offense is just too old. They've all figured it out. Like, they're going to – they need to replace that and go find a new coach. It's like, just look at the – that doesn't even make any sense, Mike. This is not about the offense not doing its job. This is about the rest of the team not doing theirs. And that's why Georgia Tech lost this game. And that is – it is just maddening. I don't know what to do with this. You know what you do with it? You let it go because it was a promising performance. But you know what? You know, it would be the worst loss of the weekend for the ACC, except there was another team that outgained an opponent by, oh, uh, about 250 yards and found a way to lose. NC State found a way to lose to South Carolina, Joey. South Carolina 35, NC State 28. NC State outgains South Carolina by over 250 total yards. 
They give up 14 points on turnovers, a special teams kickoff in which Debo Samuel of South Carolina, uh, stud by the way, or we can even steal dude alert from Solid Verbal if we give them, uh, <laughs> if we give them uh, proper credit there. Uh, dude alert, Debo Samuel, ball player for South Carolina. Um, yeah, they give up the opening kickoff there. Uh, you know, Ryan Finley threw the ball something like 62 or 63 times in this football game, put it in the air a ton for the Wolfpack. Um, what are your takeaways from this game, Joey? Because this was a real gut punch to a team in NC State, in my opinion, that was one of the dark horses, a, a trendy pick to uh, compete in this Atlantic division, and they may still very well do so. Um, but this is not a great look for Dave Dorn in the opener when you have the team that when you're the coach of the team that looks like it's much better than its opponent and you still find a way to lose. No, this is, this is a similar situation is that NC state outplayed South Carolina in so many different ways in this game. And to still come away losers is, is pretty brutal. That's pretty tough to digest. Um, again, there was some encouraging stuff here for the Wolfpack. Uh, Ryan Finley, 64 passes for 415 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I thought uh, I thought Naeem Hines I thought was pretty good uh, running and and returning the ball. I thought he did a nice job. So there were some there were some positives here, but I was really kind of disappointed at what the NC State defense was able to produce. Um, what what we were expecting from them coming into this year and just the way that that all unfolded, I, I was not impressed with what they did. Um, really, this this is a game that. In the same way that Georgia Tech should have, NC State should have won this game, Mike. Um, again, like you said, 30, almost 37 minutes of possession for NC State. Over 250 yards of outgaining South Carolina. There's just not a whole lot of excuse. 29 first downs to 12. I don't know how South Carolina had 12 first downs and 35 points. Someone's going to have to explain the math on that one to me. But, um, I, you know, I don't know what to say. Like, this, this is just part of a very frustrating weekend, I think for the ACC where there were a lot of expectations and there were even a couple of opportunities to either feel good about a team or, or make a statement. And it's the opportunity just floundered away from teams. And, and this is just a, another perfect example. Yeah. NC state having two fumbles, giving South Carolina good field position. Um, obviously Debo Samuels, 97 yard kick return on, the opening kickoff, uh, five catches, 83 yards, two scores for Debo Samuel. Um, not a great look for the Wolfpack. Now, there is some positives out of this game. Um, Jalen Samuels, 15 catches, 85 yards, one carry for nine yards. They got him 19 touches. Whoa, 16 touches. Math is hard. They got him 16 touches uh, in this game, which is, a. I mean, that was a one complaint about uh Dave Doran last year is that they didn't get the ball in Jalen Samuels' hands enough. Good news is they tried to do that in this game, which should bode well for NC State moving forward when you get the ball in the hands of their, you know your best player. South Carolina did that. worked out pretty well for them. Uh, Jake Bentley, 215 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, you know, look, you can't turn the ball over. You can't have 14 points off of those turnovers. Your defense has to play better with their backs against the wall. They don't ask to be put in these situations, but when you want to take a step and be that elite defense, you've got to make those types of plays when the going gets tough. We saw Florida State do it against Alabama. Um, as we alluded to, you know, the five drives that started in Florida State territory 
and they only yielded 13 points for Alabama. That's Those are the kind of stops you have to make if you're NC State. So not the greatest position to be in defensively, but you need to find a way to, to make that stop. So, I, you know, I don't know what, what else to really say about NC State. It's just not a great look for them in the opener for a team that should be right there in the Atlantic Division. I'm going to point out two things that happened here, Mike, and these are going to be part of a, a larger trend that I want to circle back on here uh, when we get through going through all these games. South Carolina had three touchdown drives in this game of 51 yards or less. When they only had to, they only had to go about half the length of the field to score seven points. So that's thing A. Thing B is NC State missed a field goal from inside the 15-yard line. And then at the end of the game, they turned it over on downs uh, at the 10-yard line where, where they were trying to score at the last second to try to tie the game. So just keep those things in the back of your mind. A, three touchdown drives for South Carolina of under 51 yards uh, and two missed scoring opportunities for NC State inside the 15-yard line. We good? Uh, I, we're good. I'm not sure they're good, though. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's, there's questions about that for sure. Uh, but just so we're clear, we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. Um, so let's, let's move on, Mike, to, again, another related game. This was a game that the, the ACC team won, um, but it didn't really feel that way. Louisville 35, Purdue 28. This, that was literally my biggest takeaway from this game, Mike, was Louisville won this game, and as a Louisville fan, this game felt like a loss. The Cardinals come in 25-point favorites over Purdue, and and I texted you at one point during the game that once Jair Alexander went out for Louisville's defense, it kind of felt like Lamar Jackson and a whole bunch of dudes that suck. Like, he was getting no help from his offensive line. He's getting no help from his receivers. The defense was not effective against Purdue, especially the secondary when Alexander was injured. Man, this is not an encouraging uh, encouraging win if I'm a Louisville fan, which I am. Um, for a team like Purdue with their talent levels that they have, that they were able to give the Cardinals so many issues is very, very concerning to me. So I, I, I am not excited about what's to come for Louisville coming up against teams like Clemson if this is what Purdue is going to give you. Major takeaway from this game, and I think your tweet summed it up best. When somebody asks you or tells you that Lamar Jackson cannot throw from the pocket, you ask them what pocket. I think that sums this thing up best. Now, Jackson wasn't sacked in this game, but there were six registered quarterback hurries. He was running for his life for what felt like a majority of the second half. Uh, 378 yards passing, two touchdowns, 107 yards rushing on the ground as well. Another typical Lamar Jackson Heisman-like performance where he's putting up video game numbers by himself and the rest of the team gives him no help. By the rest of the team, I'm going to highlight specifically the running game. Reggie Bonifon and Jeremy Smith in this game combined for 11 carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. 11 carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. Not great out of your two primary running backs. It's not a good situation there for Louisville when you can't run the football other than with your quarterback. This is an issue that they had for the majority of last season. Offensive line, still a major concern for me. Now, they did have a couple of big-time fumbles in this game. Lamar Jackson is included in that mix. Jackson had one, Jeremy Smith had one, Jalen Smith had one. Louisville's defense, eh, okay performance, not great. They were able to force a couple of turnovers, which I thought were, you know, more than a couple. I think it was like three or four turnovers in this game that they were able to force by Purdue. And that ended up being the difference in the football game. But this is a game, if you're Louisville, 
that you need to win a little bit more handily, especially against a rebuilding team in the Big Ten. Purdue's going to be good, but it's going to take a year or two for them to get there under Jeff Brom. But this is not a great look for the Cardinals here in the opener. Same issues that they had specifically in the final three games of last season when you know, they lost those three straight games, including the bowl game to LSU to close things out. Same issues they had there with the offensive line and some issues there in the front seven were highlighted once again in this game. They're going to have to figure out a way to defend a little bit better against the pass and find a way to run the football other than with Lamar Jackson. So, Mike, going back to my theme from NC State, first of all, Louisville had two fumbles that they lost from inside the two-yard line, which that's not a good look. Uh, They had a field goal that they kicked from the Purdue six-yard line. Um, Let's see. Purdue had scoring drives of 36 yards, 40 yards. So that's a thing. Yeah, you look like you're taking notes over there. Working on it. Yeah, so you're, you're starting to see a theme here that several of these teams were experiencing similar issues. I'm going to keep going back to this, is finishing drives, A, and B, giving other teams short fields, be it through mistakes or special teams gaffes or whatever it is. Um, it was making things extremely hard on a lot of these teams to win games when they couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't get six when they, sh- and they were only getting three. Um, there was just, these games should have been a lot more lopsided on the scoreboard than they were, uh, based on the inability to win the field position battle and, and finish drives basically. And and that's, that's just a, it was, it was very frustrating to watch a lot of these games this weekend for, for that very reason, Mike. They're going to have to do a bit better at finishing drives. They need to play better defense, and they really, really need to protect Lamar Jackson. I mean, it ended up working out because Purdue doesn't have the greatest defense in the world, but he's going to get killed against Florida State and Clemson if they don't figure that thing out in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. Louisville 35, Purdue 28. Uh, Let's go down real quick. Uh, A game that we we said that there was a chance that it could get a little wonky there. Uh, The North Carolina Tar Heels – Lose to Cal 35-30. Uh, this is a game where, again, North Carolina an 11-point favorite. I think you and I both took Cal to cover but didn't really think that they would actually pull out the win. And they did. Uh, not good for North Carolina. The, the Tar Heels, it seems like the quarterback situation is an issue right now. They started out with Brandon Harris starting. Quickly went to Chaz Sherratt, and neither one of them was really a, a very effective player there at quarterback. Uh, maybe things get better, but... This is looking like it might be a pretty rough year for the Tar Heels. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Fedora was going to have to hit the reset button at some point. Uh, This is the time to do it. Now, Brandon Harris, 7 of 16 for 60 yards and two picks. That's good for a QBR of 8.3 and an average of 3.8 yards per completion. Um, I've seen better. Uh, Enter Chad Surratt, by the way. 18 of 28, 161, a touchdown. He wasn't great either, but he was better. My gut feeling is Surratt will be the guy moving forward. Uh, you can't have, you know, 60 yards on seven completions and two picks. You can't have that happening. Uh, good news in Nor- for North Carolina in this game, they ran the ball okay. Uh, Michael Carter, 11 carries, 94 yards, two scores. Surratt came in 66 yards rushing and a touchdown. Jordan Brown, 13 carries, 54 yards. So they ran for 219 yards as a team. Uh, not too bad there. But the real issue, as you, you've you been alluding to, Joey, for, man, all offseason and 
during the season previews, and you just alluded to it, you know, just a minute or two ago. The North Carolina defense without Gene Chizik is an absolute disaster. They gave up 363 yards through the air, only gave up 106 rushing yards, which is the positive, but Ross Bowers came out for Cal and was throwing all over the field on North Carolina, and that was the major issue in this game for the Tar Heels. Once again, setting up Cal with a short field. You know, there were two interceptions thrown by Harris in this game. Of course, North Carolina fumbled as well with Michael Carter, which is a problem. Um, You know, Cal comes across the country. They win the turnover battle. They win the battle of the passing game. And in a very high-scoring game that, you know, really wasn't as close as the final score indicated. Um, You know, I think this is a big win for Cal (laughs) coming all the way across the country to Chapel Hill and, and pulling off what was a betters upset. But, you know, I, th- I was really surprised by how much North Carolina was favored in this game with so many questions on both sides of the ball. Um, so while North Carolina's defense, I think, has potential to be really good, you know, we've kind of talked about it, and they showed that they were pretty decent against the run in this game, the passing defense is still going to be an issue, and Ross Bowers kind of exposed them, and that was the difference in this football game. Cal dropped back to pass 39 times in this game. UNC came away with one sack and three QB hurries. Now, this is a Cal offense that's going to get the ball out pretty quickly, but when they drop back 39 times and you get near the quarterback four of them, that's not good. Um, Not good for the UNC defense. The offense, all things considered, I thought did a fairly good job. Uh, Chasserat... 18-28, 18 to 28, 161 yards and a touchdown. That could be worse for a guy who's never seen action before. I thought also impressive about that was North Carolina completed 25 passes. They completed them to eight different receivers, and only one of them had more than four catches. They were spreading the ball out very well. Jordan Brown got nine receptions, but uh, Austin Prohl had four catches. Jordan Cunningham had four catches. Roscoe Johnson, Brandon Fritz. All these different guys were able to get involved in the passing game. I thought that was a good sign. And as you mentioned, Mike, rushing the ball, they did pretty well. 45 carries, 219 yards, and three touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Michael Carter in particular, 11 carries for 94 yards and two scores. So I like him, Joey. He's going to be a good player, I think. Yeah, he's a ball player. Um, so there were some bright spots here for North Carolina. Um, again, some issues finishing drives and such, but um, – Overall, not a not a very good look. This is a team that they probably should have beaten. We talked about Cal and their negative body clock, and they're in year. This is game number one under their new head coach. Um, so there were a lot of a lot of opportunities here for North Carolina to get a, a good out of conference win early on, and they were not able to get it done. Um, so again, just a, a continued uh, piece of this disappointment that I think the the conference felt this weekend. Um, and so, I you know. I don't know what to say, really, um, as far as what's causing this or anything. But, you know, as a conference that is moving towards more of a defensive-heavy league this year as it tries to replace so much offensive skill talent, that North Carolina's defense is looking like it's getting worse. I think it's a bad sign for the Tar Heels that that they're going to be the ones getting scored on this year. Um, it, It might be a rough year here in Chapel Hill. Let's move on, Mike. Pittsburgh 28, Youngstown State 21 in overtime. This is another one that we said don't sleep on this one. And sure enough, 
the the Penguins of Youngstown State take the Panthers to overtime. And, Let's go Penguins! Yeah, and damn near won the thing in, in regulation. Uh, I think that they missed a field goal at the gun that would have won the game for them. This is a bad look, Mike. You know, in the post Matt Canada era for Pittsburgh, post uh, Nate Peterman, post James Conner. Max Brown goes 17 to 24 for only 140 yards and a touchdown. Not great. Uh, Quadri Allison, 22 carries, 91 yards and two touchdowns. He didn't exactly take the game over. I watched some of this game, Mike, and the, the feeling that I got was it. I don't really know how to describe this other than saying that somebody was running Matt Canada's offense, but like a bootleg version of it. Like it was the same playbook. And they, look, they had the same look to it, but it just was not nearly as effective. And I think that the play calling in particular was just not as timely. Um, there were a lot of calls that were the exact plays that Matt Canada was running last year with a lot of similar personnel, and they were not anywhere nearly as effective. And I, I think that things just were not being set up as properly as we got used to seeing from Matt Canada. So Sean Watson, new offensive coordinator for the Panthers, uh, might not be as effective to say the very least. All right, so let's take the good. Quadri Allison, 22 carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns. That was good. Quadri Henderson. Yeah, it was, right. Quadri Henderson, nine carries, 77 yards. That's good. Now let's move to what was okay. Max Brown, 17 to 24, 140, and a touchdown. Okay. He was. You wanted more yards than that on 17 completions. But he didn't turn the football over. So that that's fine, right? So Nate, Nate Peterman had plenty of games like that. Maybe not last year. He was much better, specifically second half of last season. But he had plenty of games like that when he was at Pittsburgh, right? That's fine. Let's move to the bad. They gave up 311 yards passing to Hunter Wells, who's an FCS quarterback, right? I get that they went to a national championship last year. They fell up, you know, came up short against James Madison, but still an FCS opponent. So much for that Pat Narduzzi defense that we're now, what, three years removed from at Michigan State. Goes to Pitt. The phenomenon continues. Gives up 3-11 and two scores against Hunter Wells. Also not great. Tevin McCaster for Youngstown State. Good news is Pittsburgh held him to under four yards, four yards per carry, but he had 73 yards rushing and a touchdown. They gave up three carries, 32 yards to Christian Turner. That was the least of the concerns for Pittsburgh. The passing defense was horrible. I don't really know what to make. I mean, Max Brown lost a fumble, so I guess that was <laughs> that's kind of what you know made this a little bit closer than it needed to be. But Pittsburgh shouldn't be going to overtime in their opener against an FCS opponent. Not a great look. Now, I, I understand this is a weird game. You're playing a really good FCS school, and you're replacing a lot of talent on offense, and you're replacing a decent amount of talent on a defense that just really hasn't been that good. But you need to find a way to win by more than seven. And, you know, there were issues in the kicking game. You turned the ball over. You know, Alex Kessman 0 for 2 on his field goals. I mean, that could have made this margin a little bit more decisive. But even so, at, at like 34 to 21, I mean, how good do you feel about Pittsburgh only really winning this game by a couple touchdowns against an FCS school at home? I mean, not not great. So, really weird game. Good for Pittsburgh for hanging on, but not the greatest look in week one. Mike, can we just real quick? Youngstown State just threw for 311 yards on only 18 completions. Not good. Not good. And that's Youngstown State. The next two weeks, you got freaking Penn State and Oklahoma State. 
They might Ooh, they might but, account for roughly a million yards of offense in those games. Oh man, you get the Trace McSorley Mason Rudolph special in the next two weeks. Oof. That's going to be tough. That's going to be real tough. Yeah, that's not good. Um, so that might be kind of rough. Uh, I I just yeah, the defense continues to be underwhelming here for Pittsburgh. Um, I, I, I don't know how this happens. Again, we talk about coordinators that were extremely effective in a certain role at a previous stop, come become head coaches, and now are just completely ineffective at the thing that they used to be really good at. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how that happens. Um, so, n- not great for Pittsburgh. It's probably not looking great coming up either. And this is a team that just, uh, just was like a couple plays away last year from potentially winning the Coastal Division. And it might be a very quick downward spiral here, depending on how the rest of these games turn out. Next three games for Pitt, Penn State, Oklahoma State, Georgia Tech. Better win that third one if you're Pittsburgh, because you're not winning the next two. Yeah, really. So, I don't know. Not for your sake, but just in general. If you're a Pitt fan, you've got to win that Georgia Tech game. Yeah, for Pitt fans. Georgia Tech really needs to win that game, too. Uh, Pittsburgh 28, Youngstown State 21 in overtime, Boston College 23, Northern Illinois 20. This is another ugly one, Mike, that I think we learned things about Boston College, and as we discussed before, that's not a good thing. Uh, this is not, this was not a pretty game for Boston College at all. They got outgained. They gave up a whole bunch of yards, passing and on the ground, uh, 367 of them to be exact. Um, and this is again, this is Northern Illinois that last year was, I believe five and seven or four and eight in the Mac. And I don't know, this is a win, but again, Boston college really probably should have won this game by a couple touchdowns and instead finds a way to win by three. This is another one of those really weird games where BC was favored, but they were going on the road at like nine 30 on a Friday night for their opener against a team that they don't really see that often. I mean, it was a weird game from the start. So thanks Northern Illinois for the cover. Really appreciate that. Um, Anthony Brown for BC, uh, 191 yards passing, two touchdowns and a pick only averaged like four and a half yards of completion. But, you know, I guess if you're a BC fan, you'll take it. He didn't look awful. Um, the one concern I have, and, and I've had this concern for a while is what is BC going to get out? John Hilleman. Uh, we talked about this in our preseason preview with Dan Rubin of bceagles.com. We talked about, okay. Is this more of an offensive line problem? Is this a John Hilleman problem? He's kind of had this drop-off since he was a freshman when he was really good. Hilleman, 25 carries for 58 yards in this game. Um, only 2.3 yards per carry. Not the greatest of starts for him, but you know some of that might be attributed to the offensive line as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, good defense by BC in this game. You know, Ryan Graham on the other side for Northern Illinois, 190 yards passing, two touchdowns and a pick. BC's defense held up decently. Um, I was kind of surprised that Ryan Graham, yes, the quarterback, had 12 carries for 99 yards. Uh, That's not a great look, but he did have a 60-yard run in there, which, you know, inflate the stats a little bit. So BC's rushing defense was not quite as poor as it seemed. But, yeah, you know, another pretty strong start for the Boston College defense I'd say all in all um, but you know you'd like to win this game by a little bit more uh, it was a nail biter for BC fans but this is a game that they had to have especially when considering uh, you know bowl eligibility chances and things of that nature I know it's only week one but you have to take 
winnable games into consideration when you're a team that's on the fence like they are. Boston College 23, Northern Illinois 20. Last game, Mike, and we're going to just briefly hit on this one. Virginia 28, William & Mary 10. Uh, this is, a, by you know the looks of it and everything, a relatively easy win for Virginia. But in, in practice, it wasn't as easy as it looked. It was only a 14-0 lead at halftime. There was never a point where Virginia just really ran away with this thing. Um, and, and against a team, again, like William & Mary, you would hope to see that from Virginia. But... Overall, you really would have liked to see a bit of a better showing here from the Cavaliers. Uh, well, if you're Virginia, I guess you're just happy you won your season opener. Uh, you know, you couldn't say that last year. Uh, other positives, Kurt Benkert looked pretty good. Um, now, it is William & Mary, so let's take it with a grain of salt, but Benkert did look good and look healthy. Matt Trogdon was saying uh, to us in the preview, season preview for the Cavaliers that you know, the hope was that Ben Kurt would be healthy enough to contribute and take a little bit of a step forward and be respectable at the position. Well, he looked healthy on Saturday, uh, 27-39, 262, three touchdowns. He did what he needed to do. I think the concerns here for Virginia are defensively, um, not necessarily against the pass because Tommy McKee for William & Mary is not a great passer, so we'll learn more about their passing defense moving forward. But against the run, uh, they gave up 168 total yards on the ground. Um, but they didn't run away with this game, uh, and and that's the one concern you have if you're Virginia. But you know, on, on the contrary, you know maybe Virginia doesn't have the team, or I, I know they don't have the team yet, where they're going to just run away from teams, no matter FCS or not. Uh, you know they fell into that trap last year when they played Richmond. So good for Virginia. They get the win. They do it rather convincingly by the final score, and they'll move forward. They're one and zero, and I think it's a good spot to be in when you're playing an FCS opponent in Week One. The thing that concerns me here, Mike, Virginia goes for 32 carries and 92 yards on the ground against William & Mary. Yeah, it's not great. As a team that is looking to run the football, if that's what you're doing against William & Mary, good luck against, who do they play next week, Boise State? No, 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 Indiana. They got Boise in two in three weeks. Uh, Indiana's uh, going to be a turf. tough one. Indiana's yeah. going to be a tough one. Yeah, so, I, you know. Hope you get a better showing in that one on the ground, and, and I don't know how I feel about that given what Indiana was able to do to Ohio State this week. So time will tell. Mike, we got to wrap this up here. we got a couple of awards to give out. First of all, the Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award actually it's goes It's back, baby. It's it is back. back. Brian Van Gorder is not back, but the award is. And uh, we got to give this award to a couple teams that actually won their games. Yeah, congratulations to Louisville and Pittsburgh, the inaugural recipients in 2017 of the Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award. Pittsburgh, you tried to lose to an FCS opponent in overtime in Youngstown State. Congratulations, you tried. Louisville, you tried to pass protect and run protect against a team in Purdue that's rebuilding in the Big Ten and won almost no games last year. Congratulations, you tried to lose, but you didn't. Just, <sighs> ouch. Not great. Not great. They tried, uh, but, you know, it took a lot more trying than they were planning on. So uh, there's that. There's also the Go ACC moment of the week, Mike, which we lovingly give out to NC State and Georgia Tech for massively outgaining their opponents and finding ways to lose. That is Go ACC as hell. Yeah, they combine uh, to outgain their opponents by almost 600 yards, and they both still lose their football games. Oh, and they both dominate a time of possession. So, 
Oh, man. Go ACC. Ouch. Uh, by the way, Mike, there's a game that we completely glossed over here. Uh, Syracuse 50, Central Connecticut 7. That's about all you need to know. Syracuse just runs away with this one, so good on you, Orange. But uh, figured we'd mention that on the podcast before we get out of here. I don't know how we forgot that one. That's good. I'm, well, I mean, that would have been one of those games at the beginning that, you know, another quarterback looked really good. Eric Dungey, the truther. That's, that's you. Yes. You're the truther. I am nothing if not an Eric Dungey truther. As my ACC Player of the Year pick goes 28 of 36 for 328, three touchdowns, no picks. Also nine carries, 51 yards, two touchdowns. Let's go, Mike. Five touchdowns, almost 400 yards of offense for my man, Eric Dungy. I mean, your player of the year pick is looking a lot better than mine, who won't be playing another game the rest of the season. So, I mean, would you would you definitely put him on the on the leaderboard then? Or yeah, I think he'll (laughs) be up there permanently. Yeah, too soon. Sorry, my bad. Uh, all right, Mike. This has been fun. This has been a lengthy recap of Week One. I can only imagine how the rest of them will go. are you anything else before we start to get out of here? I think we're all set. On to week two. I think we've covered it. Yeah, on to week two. It's going to be another interesting slate of games, kind of some highs and some lows in terms of opponents. But uh, we will be back very soon to uh, preview that uh, week two games. And in the meantime, you guys can reach us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, your thoughts. If you, you know, whatever you want to, you think we missed something on the podcast, I don't care. Send it all to the longest email address, no demand, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Woohoo. Uh, you could also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on the Overcast app. Uh, I don't think you can find us on Stitcher, Mike. I think we've been lying to the people. Okay. Uh, you also can't find us on Spotify yet, but, okay. you know, empty promises, that's fine. Um, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? They can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Rate us on iTunes, review us on iTunes as well. We need more reviews, people. Please give us give us five stars. Tell us what you think. Any of that good stuff. Hell yes, they can. Um, Mike, I think that just about does it. Do you want to come back and preview week two here very soon? I do, buddy. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed week one. We'll be back with week two very shortly. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.